0: On today's episode, I interview James Thornock, who's a a young dad and now the operations officer for CoderKids.com. He's a former school teacher who found the constraints of public school system just really didn't allow him to do what he loved most, which was to create a great learning experience for kids. And, you know, frankly, for himself too. We delve into, you know, what it takes to create a great learning environment, in particular with online learning, which is what CoderKids is doing and what so many of kids are in these days, I was really interested how they're able to keep kids as young as six engaged for hours at a time in their classes. So we also explore like how learning coding develops valuable skills, even if it's something that isn't a long-term passion for them. There's, and as a former software developer myself, I can certainly relate to, you know, a lot of the benefits, communication, thinking, breaking down problems. So we look into a lot of that stuff. Kits itself, they, they offer a, a rich buffet of different learning experiences, from the programming itself to learning teamwork and leadership skills, videography, and an art design. They cover a lot of different platforms, from Minecraft to Fortnite, Scratch, Python, and, and more. And then they deliver this in after-school programs and summer camps. So It was a really great interview. I enjoyed our discussions just around education in general. It's clear that James has a real passion for for learning and for helping parents and kids really get the most out of their education experience. So enjoy today's episode with James Thornock of CoderKids.com. Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts Parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age. So, parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Well, James, it's good to have you on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'd love to start just by getting to know a little bit about you and your family crew. Who, Who do you got in the mix?
1: Yeah, so I got a 15-month-year-old son and a wonderful wife, Lara. She and I both work from home, so we're here all the time. And yeah, I mean, that's the crew. It theoretically could, could grow in the future, but yeah, you got that's where we're at right
0: now. Possible expansion plans, yeah. With a 15-month-old, yeah, that's, that's, life, is, life is hopping.
1: You might make an appearance on the podcast just in audio form. The door only can hold so many squeals back. I don't want to say screams, but more like squeals. He's a very loud individual. <laughs> Probably like me, I guess.
0: Well, how would we call it? We'll call it enthusiastic. Yeah,
1: oh, he's incredibly enthusiastic.
0: Well, I mean, this podcast all about family, right? So I totally get that. My kids are, are teenagers and I still sometimes have them bouncing through the doors, uh all good. Yeah, it's like
1: what is sometimes you wonder, like, what is a door even for? Like if if it just gets knocked
0: down and smashed open and yeah, good times. You know, it's a bit of a sidebar, but you know, it's I think for a lot of us, right? I mean I mean you're just starting out as a as a dad, which is awesome. You know, me I'm kinda of on the other end where I'm like thinking, Oh, he's just a few more years, right, before they're possibly you know living elsewhere or going to university or doing their own entrepreneurial thing so i'm seeing like the hourglass on the other end you know getting really really short and so for me one of the things that i always encourage other parents is to have more of an open door than a closed door in a sense in a metaphorically speaking right that those years go by really quick and uh, there's a lot of value i think too in our kids experiencing and seeing what we're doing you know whether it's work related or whatever and, and finding ways for them to be a part of that that journey time goes by fast it really does yeah
1: i i always hear that and i i believe it it's tough at the end of like a 10 and a half hour workday when i want to be with him and it's like oh we gotta do one more thing yeah so but no one on their deathbed is like yeah i should have just spent more time on the computer (laughs) Yeah. yeah i i you know i know that yeah so this it's a it's a balancing act for sure i love i love the little guy he is uh He's a lot of, a lot of fun to be around, and he's just he smiles all the way, smiles mm. and screams.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they're yeah, it's such a gift. Kids, but they're, they're more the teachers than we are, as, as far as I'm concerned. Cool. Well, let's, let's dive a little bit into your background a bit. So, we're definitely want to jump into into to coder kids in, in a moment. But I see that you started out in the school system before. Um, Starting into Coder kids. Yeah.
1: Do you want to go back to my childhood? Do you want to go <laughs> professional? What do, you, what do you want to talk about?
0: Well, I'm just, just curious about, you know, like your, particularly, just kind of your, your educational roots, because I know that's a passion for you, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I have to go back because it, it informs why I went into teaching a little bit, if that makes sense. So I was public schooled and I did homeschool for about two and a half years. I could be wrong on the exact length of time and my mom was awesome I don't think she had all the tools that are available right now and the thing was that was plainest to me in the educational system that I was in that like some teachers were objectively terrible and treated students like incredibly poorly and then I had some that were incredibly inspiring and wonderful and and uh, amicable and giving and charismatic and huge divide and so it was like kind of getting pushed through the public school system it's kind of like gambling but with your life in terms of Moy, i help i help the teacher that like i walk in you know on the first day of school you're like so nervous i think some people point to like oh there's a social environment and you don't know the social environment for me it was very like teacher-based like this teacher's either going to be great for a year of my life, or it's going to be like an objective train wreck. So, a lot of my motivation to teach was like a lot of teaching sucks and a lot of teachers sucked, in my opinion. Then, yeah, so I became a teacher. I went to school for history. Uh, so, I have a, a bachelor's in history and a, and a minor in philosophy. And I didn't do the education in school, I didn't do the school of education while I was going to college. I did that afterward I did alternative certification afterward on purpose because of stories I'd heard but regardless I was a public school teacher and I learned that a lot of the the things that teachers struggle with and that kind of take the life out of them are completely out of their control so again a lot of empathy for teachers who maybe they just were bad but maybe they could have been less bad had the system been a little bit better and and Facilitated and focused on actual learning. And so I loved teaching. I loved those learning moments and those light bulb moments. But what I found was when students didn't have the option to choose what they got to learn, it just was hard to get them interested, right? Because they didn't get to. And then occasionally there would be this kind of rare butterfly of interest. They'd be interested in a certain like historical topic and then be done in a day. And then they wouldn't get to focus on it anymore. And, you know, history classes are taught in a very, like, it's just linear, like, all right, you just got to learn it all. And it's in, right. like one, it's in a, a one directional. Yeah, you just like start in ancient history and then you just like move forward. And then there were so many different ways that you could teach it. And I felt like the ways that we were teaching it were were just some of the worst. And I feel like I had a lot of great ideas that I couldn't implement because it required sign off by my administrator plus the other two teachers who were teaching the same topic because heaven forbid we teach Texas history differently because if we did then parents would complain that their kids were getting graded differently so i feel like my view now is that most teachers not all there are some bad apples but most teachers do an incredible job with what they've got and they're they're trying super hard but a lot of times their hands are completely tied
0: yeah. So, which is, you know, it's going to, that will wear off after, you know, be wearing, I should say, right? Uh, after many, many years. So, but you managed to find a different path soon after that before you got all cynical and worn out and whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't achieve full burnout that a lot of teachers get to after like giving it a full five or 10 year, whatever years. And the school I was at had like a, it was bad, like a 70% turnover rate for new teachers. And so I was definitely a part of that statistic. But yeah, I mean, I think I 100% retain a love for teaching. I absolutely like I actually like developing curriculum, which is a little bit crazy. I love the student teacher interaction. I love like actual learning. I love group learning. I love passion led learning. Yeah, I love it. And so I, I really believe that for the rest of my life, I think I will be in education. You don't always know what you're going to do for the rest of your life it's certainly what I really care about and I really want to move the needle in and there are a lot of ways to do it so
0: so what would you say because you mentioned how you you know you, you love to design and, and develop curriculum so you're very much you are very much a person who trying to create an optimal environment right so what for you are the key ingredients for for learning to really be successful right for education to to work you know if you had a magic wand yeah know, yeah what would you do yeah, what what so needs to be there?
1: For a libertarian to ask, like, if I could rule the world and change everything is like an anti, like, <laughs> it's not exactly what I believe, but I love, I love the question. I love it. So if I could just wave a magic wand, I would put all educational decisions in the hands of parents, children, or students, and teachers. I'd, I'd completely remove a government bureaucrats and textbook companies and whatever from whatever standards. I really just innately believe that parents care more about their individual student on average because you have to use a generalization when if I was going to magic wand the entire country or world, I would say that the best kind of educational decisions are made by parents and and children and, and teachers collaboratively. And yeah, I mean, I say that's mostly where my philosophy comes from.
0: Right. So, really having, having ownership of that, that journey.
1: And that's the thing I see over time. My dad did this with me very well, but he did this, like, I'd call it like agency stepping, where he made 100% of decisions when I was like born, right? Like, I can't change my own diaper. I can't, like, you know, I can't do anything for myself. So, he's clearly going to decide what happens. And then over time. Well, you get to decide when you go poop. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Over time then, like, I develop interests. And like, I refuse to play the piano, which I feel like was a dumb decision, but I made it. And I like feel like I knew what I was doing. And I I think I was like, 12. And I just absolutely refused to play the piano. And so that didn't get baked into my education. That's probably the only educational decision I wish my parents would have overridden. But it's not a perfect science. And so over time, the student is eventually going to be an adult, and you're going to need to be you know, quote unquote, adulting and making their own life choices and decisions. And they need to be fully empowered to make decisions for themselves and their future and not feel like crippled in terms of being able to make their own decisions. So, a parent should not make 100% of educational decisions through like 12th grade. That would be like bonkers, in my opinion, but it does occasionally happen. So, there's that trade off that slowly, gradually switches with more and more responsibilities. Big fan of Jordan Peterson and you know, he talks about basically as soon as you can delegate responsibility, like it's your job to assume as much responsibility as you possibly can for your own life. And that's really inspiring to me cuz that that presupposes that I can handle responsibility as the child and that I can get better and that my parent has always been there to support me and so that they'll continue to support me, but that also I have abilities to be able to do most things and that I could probably get good at a couple of them. Yeah. You know,
0: what really what what you're describing is, you know, my my best understanding is like the self-directed education type model where you do to kind of choose your own path and what you're motivated in. And, And obviously there's, there's guardrails and things like that to make that successful. But, but ultimately the, the most successful path, and this is kind of what my, my son Graham is doing at a school called Galileo, which uses a self-directed education model where he um, can pick and choose whatever he wants, right? Um, they have a whole smattering of stuff and he can stick with it as long as he wants and, and just sort of over that time develop his interests and passions and, and skills. So
1: I would issue like one caveat. I mean, I think when some people hear self-directed education, I think some probably not your listeners but some would say well it's like well you're gonna trust the person who doesn't have the experience to then like choose how to get the experience they should follow like the experts and so i would say the best way to like moderate completely free-willed like i'm gonna learn whatever and you know play video games for 12 hours a day which i love video games right so i'm not trying to criminalize that either but i would say i think the presupposition with self-guided education is that like you can only choose what you know about and so that model requires educated parents or at least parents who are open to exposing their child to a lot of different professions and giving them it's like that's actually you can only choose what
0: you know about right and that's a key part i mean we could talk about Self-directed for a while, I'm sure. But yeah, that's a key part of it actually is, is this notion of what's called strewing. And that's kind of, the, you know, for the School of Galileo, for example, part of their thing is to show them so many different options, right? And to be able to like taste whatever you want, like dip your toe in kind of thing as part of that experience, because you, you're right, part of a self-directed model is only going to work if you're exposed to all kinds of different possibilities, many of which, yeah, you, have, you had no idea about. So totally get that. Well I'd love to kind of shift into uh, what you're doing now with Coder Kids you know, in the in the kind of in the spotlight with what we've been talking about. What's the focus of, of Coder Kids and, and how is it kind of aligning with you know what you want to see happen in the education space?
1: Yeah, so sometimes I get very heated with my opinions, but those are not necessarily coder kids. Coder Kids has one political position and, and that is that it supports school choice, which I, I think is pretty an at home position not not a pretty crazy position on this podcast, but I would say we are intensely focused on teaching kids how to code computers. And we have found strangely, it, it used to be our motto that our classes were 50% fun and 50% educational. And uh, then my instructors weren't being fun enough. And so, <laughs> and so we, we shifted it to 51% fun. It's so interesting because, you know, we are basically chosen by parents, right? So. Parents only sign up for our our stuff if they find real value in it or or that they believe they'll find real value in it for their kids. And the kids don't want to keep signing up unless it's like enjoyable for them. And so I am laser focused on trying to create classes that have an environment that is both beginner friendly and adept friendly where two kids with differing abilities in coding can both walk away with something and also collaborate with each other and also compete with each other and walk away with a portfolio of, of projects that they've created that they get to keep forever so we don't do letter grades but we do give feedback you know whenever a parent asks we're like very open about um, where are they at with where the students are at with different abilities so we do after school programs and summer camps. So I probably should have led with that. But within those, either summer camp, which is five days for either three or six hours a day, or seven if you include lunch, it's like pretty concentrated. Then after school is typically an hour and a half once a week, where they get to learn kind of throughout a semester. But either way, they use the the same set of curriculum for that, and then yeah it's uh but if someone gets really like they want to get really serious about learning coding up to a like a collegiate level and then possibly to a professional level, then we do private tutoring lessons kind of one on one and that is one hundred percent self directed so we don't have like a a specific map of hey your private tutoring will start like this all private tutoring lessons start with a discussion. So the first lessons always start with an extra 30 minutes to give a little bit more space for the teacher and student and parent to all kind of meet each other where they are and to kind of assess, okay, what coding have you done in the past? What are you excited about in the future? What do you want to build? And then it's determined like what language would be good for that. And then practicing and learning toward the goal of building. And then it's also flexible because the student can change their goal and they can say, well, you know, I'm interested in this language. The usefulness of, of you know, say Python is kind of, I'm good with that. Let's move into Java or um, something else. And so the lessons can kind of pivot depending on the interest of the, the student. I'd say that's the top level, basically what we do.
0: Who are the kinds of kids you think would be ideal for like coder kids? Like who, who are you trying to, to reach?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, primarily students first grade through eighth grade. We say grade, but, you know, roughly that age category of six years old up through, I guess, 14, 15 years old. Basically, everyone is ideal to be in a Coder Kids class or camp. That's what the curriculum is, is built on. Whether they like in like super enjoy it for that week or it was just like a great exposure for them and then they never sign up again, you know, that's... I think, you know, yet to be seen. And not every kid is like built for coding, but almost every kid that I've ever met is smart enough to do coding, and they are, you know, with patience, they're capable of learning how to make their own video games, their own stories, their own animations. I mean, it's really fun stuff
0: and yeah i got to yeah. imagine that's that's pretty cool to have something come to life on the screen right that others can try and build like they actually so you know after a week or so that they actually have some kind of like working working game or what what, yeah, what absolutely what? yeah that's, that's got to be really that's got to be really cool if a parents listening right now and and there's so many options right online and and you know i also think too about just you know overall Zoom fatigue, you know, with uh, with kids these days who are in the school system. So what would you say is particularly you know, what's what's working well about coder kids? Like what what are some things kind of make it stand out compared to what else might be out there?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Zoom fatigue is a is a real thing. I mean, we're using Zoom now, so it works for some people. I would say that here's some criticism. I would say that a lot of people who are teaching on Zoom have no business doing so. I would say maybe they do have business doing so but they just weren't trained properly. And so I think when you get the proper training and you get instructors who are young and adaptable, look, you can be old and adaptable too, so no ageism here. Um, But I would say we have really good techniques and really good engagement. That does involve us being a little bit extra, a little bit like some YouTube stars. We can't, like in a classroom environment, it's really easy or you know, in a church or a Jewish community center or whatever where we're in person, it's easy to say, hey, can I have the mouse and and show a student where to click or to show by example. It's a little bit more difficult when you're limited to audio and video. But what we do, we use a software called Discord, so we actually don't use Zoom, and that enables the instructors to have a little bit more care and less lag and better audio quality and video quality so that students can like join class early. They don't have to join like right at a specific moment. They can hang out and talk after like class is technically over. So there's a little bit more open feel. The text chat does not get deleted at the end of class. So if there's curriculum shared or example projects or code that's posted in the chat, they can refer to that basically at any time in the future. And so that's pretty open. Also, our instructors are texting parents if there's ever an issue or you know if a child ever does something really cool the phone number the email address and the discord information of our individual instructors are given to to parents at the very beginning because we really believe if parents are going to be making educated decisions they need access to everything we have access to right they should be like participants in it so it works because you know number one they're doing coding, like this is a coding activity, I would be less enthusiastic, perhaps if I taught karate or something else really cool and in person tumbling, you know, I'd say we're really well suited for this. And we're really well trained to make activities fun. Another thing that I do want to talk about is just physical activity. So even though this is a digital activity, your kid is not going to be sitting in front of a screen for three hours unbroken. I just don't believe in that. And especially like a, a six-year-old, please no. So yeah, what we do is we, we actually are pretty lucky. But what I'd say is that's because we incorporate jumping jacks and push-ups for fun and we do breaks throughout. So we, we literally say like for the next 20 minutes, you're not going to be looking at your computer. Like you're going to go to the bathroom, you're going to do some jumping jacks, you're going to get a snack, you're going to come back. And what we find is that kids actually learn more like having a break, they are happier to come back. They've got some blood flowing because of the jumping jacks. And then they're happier, which is, you know, we want everyone to be happy in our classes, like legitimately, I want people to be happy in their lives. And so they come back with this like extra enthusiasm to learn. And so I think those are some things where we're just equipped to be able to make a little bit better experience. Yeah,
0: no, that's re- that's really smart. Actually, I just interviewed a woman named Annette Cashel, and her whole thing is about incorporating movements—not necessarily exercise, but but like regular micro movements, right? Every 20 minutes and so on. It's it's, it's it was a really interesting conversation. But just that that regular movement just makes such a difference to overall health. Really transformed her, particularly her her ailing health issues. So yeah, that's really cool. Obviously, like a lot of these kids, you know, they're not necessarily going to go on and become programming rock stars or anything but as a parent then what are some of the key takeaways that you feel like kids get from going through an experience like coder kids that carry them forward in their in their life
1: well that is such a good question yeah you're right not everyone's going to be a coder and i'm super okay with that i think there is this narrative that like Every single job was going to have coding and you there's no choice. (laughs) Like if you if you're not a coder, then like your job's gonna be automated away. I don't believe that. So while I benefit from that narrative in some aspects, it's not true. I would say that a benefit of joining coder kids, whether you just join once for the fun and the exposure and the logic, I would say the key takeaways, regardless of future career choice, have to do with sequential logic. And that means, like, you go to the grocery store, you pick up a vegetable, you take it home, then you chop it up, and then you cook it, and then you eat it. Like, you can't eat the thing before you buy it. You can't, like, or grow it, you know, if you get a garden. So, sequential logic really, really, really matters in life. And that's one thing that they're going to be learning. They're going to be learning about if-then statements. So, like, an example of that is where, like, the computer is basically checking to see if something is true. And then if it is true, then it will do one action. And if it is not true, then it does a different action. My mom always used to say, you know, if it's 5 p.m., you come into the kitchen, you wash your hands, you sit down for dinner. If it's not 5 p.m., you best stay out of the kitchen, right? So, that was an, an if-then statement. <laughs> yeah. And so, she was teaching me about computer languages before I knew it. But a lot of these are just a, a logical framework, a, a way to figure out problems creatively one of the things that's different about mathematics and coding, even though there are a lot of similarities, is that with math, there's typically like one really good solution. And there are, I think, some, in some instances, different ways to come to that conclusion more and less efficiently. But with coding, I have seen solutions by some students that really just blew my mind. Some that were less efficient than what I had in mind and some that were way more efficient than what I had in mind. And The thing is they were both correct and so like objectively when you're coding it's just it's a very creative process and you learn how to logically solve problems but the tools that are there for you it's a little bit different. There are multiple ways that you can solve problems and that really teaches kids that like hey if I think about a problem in a logical manner I'm able to solve things like, and other nice thing about coding is that it presents them with direct challenges. Like, you don't know how to make this work. And there's kind of this brick wall. And that's just a part of coding where, like, I don't know how to do the next thing. I don't know how to do a, a, a point system, or I don't know how to do a live system, or I don't know how to make the character fly around the screen. Or maybe I mostly got it right, but then it's not turning left for some reason, or, you know, counterclockwise. Our instructors will say... You either give them the answer directly or, which, and this is better, is like to ask the question. It's like, well, you got it to turn right properly. How do you think you could do it to turn left? And sometimes the answer will come right to them. And the instructor didn't say, didn't give them the answer or an answer. They were able to figure out specifically, oh, what I need to do is instead of using the clockwise block, I'm going to use the counterclockwise block for the left instead of using the clockwise block for both. And so, it would say primarily logic and creative problem solving. And I think that would bless a kid for hopefully forever. I don't have studies to back that up. but <laughs> Yeah, and it's,
0: and it's very iterative. That's it, what they're practicing. It's, it's very iterative too, right? I mean, you can take a problem you said and then break like, my background's in computer science as well, back in the day. So, wow. <laughs> you know, but it's like you can have this, this big problem, and then you've got to break it down into smaller pieces, right? And then the smaller pieces aren't as intimidating, right? Oh, yeah, I can figure out how to do this little thing. And then you can add on the other little thing. And, and ultimately, you know, I think, too, about, like, we call these computer languages, right? Programming languages. So there's an element of communication here. It's not with our words, but we have to express something through computer language. And in a lot of cases also has to be not just working, but has to be understandable, right? So it can be maintained and can be adapted and, and changed. So there, for me, when I think about stuff like Coder Kids, I think, oh, yeah, here's a great way to express something through communication that will also be beneficial down the road, whether you're you know, writing something or audibly saying something, but you've really got to think through how to express that. So all kinds of yeah. cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that is absolutely correct.
0: Very cool. So you said, so you've got quite a, a wide range of, of age groups and so on, and, and you've got some, sure. some summer camps and, and things that are coming up soon. What do you personally, what do you enjoy most about what, what you do? What gets you going every day on those 10 and a half hour days sometimes?
1: Yeah, so number one, like I love if I have an educational idea, like there's no one stopping me. Yeah, I love to chart my own destiny, and I love not to have... Anybody saying like, no, you can't try that. And look, I've had some ideas that haven't worked. But I think, like you said, with iteration, my ideas get better because I get to test them. Like if I never get to test anything with my, myself or my instructors, there's no kind of feedback loop or whatever, then my ideas would never get better. And so I love that iteration. I love the this, this creative destruction. But like this is really like what I enjoy. I, I actually like talking to parents on the phone, like I like doing customer service. Some parents who have called in like, and I've talked their ear off for like 30 minutes, like I apologize to you. <laughs> but we're like friends afterward. It's this great thing. So there's so many aspects. I like doing a podcast. I like publishing videos to our YouTube channel. So it's, it's just all pretty much boss. awesome. For me, yeah, I like the, the primary downside is that like a business never sleeps. But like, that's basically the primary downside, and I don't think that can be 100% removed. I'm working on, like, work-life balance and incorporating time to go on runs with my son. And But I think, like, I love doing something and seeing the direct result. Like, I called parents to see how they were doing and to recommend future classes and camps. They sign up or they didn't sign up because it didn't meet their needs. And so then I get to figure out, oh, okay, how can I meet those needs? And how can I be of service? And I love... Like, I really want to serve people and I really want to enrich their educational experience and be a a small part of it or a big part if the kid is like 100% going to be a coder later on. But yeah, so I just love the creativity. As far as, you didn't ask this, but I'd say the types of camps that are out there. We do Minecraft. We do Roblox. We do gaming camps, which are based on, you know, we try to teach leadership communication, goal setting skills, delegation, things that you need a group to be able to practice. And then we have coding camps, obviously, where you get to learn how to code, create your own video games. We have some digital arts classes where you learn how to edit video and storyboard and shoot video from different angles and and different shots and, and some animation stuff too. So there's a lot of different options, but Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox, Scratch, Scratch Jr.,
0: yeah, that's quite a that's Python. Quite, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's covering pretty much all the bases there. And that's cool, too. It's not just writing the code, as you point out. There's a lot of other creative aspects as well, like video design and, and leadership and, and teamwork. So that's really cool. James, it's been really fun. Where can people find out more about uh, Coder Kids?
1: Yeah, so CoderKids.com is pretty easy. No special spelling, like it's just C-O-D-E-R-K-I-D-S.com. If you want to reach out to me directly, James at CoderKids.com. Also pretty easy. And then, you know, we have the YouTube channel and and stuff. I can give you the links for that. But I'd say... And, and you can call, you know, our numbers on Google. You can find it. You can chat with me if,
0: if you got the patience to do so or are curious. James is, right <laughs> right? To, James so. is ready to hang. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you found a, a path that really lights you up. I can just tell from, you know, the energy of our, our conversation. You have a lot of passion for what you're doing and for the kids you're serving. And yeah, I just encourage parents, you know, who maybe you know, talk to their kids and uh, they see like they'd like to maybe try some some coding or gaming or, or whatever um, to check out Coder Kids and and, and meet this uh, wonderful human being, uh, James.
1: Well, thanks. I do want to issue you know a correction. If I was too hard, and I probably was on some teachers. My heart, I love love teachers. A lot of my experiences just. You know my experience growing up, and I think I've had a lot, lot more empathy. And right now, I like I love, love teachers. I just would like a a better system for them to to operate in. You know, really cares for the educational journey of the student. I think most teachers would want to to do that. So if I if I've come off a little bit too hard, I do want to soften that a bit. I love, love teachers. I love what they do, but I love parents and the the students educational journey sorry to butt in there I just I just want to make sure like no one's like leaving this podcast like that guy doesn't appreciate what we do or like yeah well no, I do
0: I yeah do. and you point out earlier you know once you became a teacher that empathy kicked in because you started to realize just really what their world's like so yeah we got we got that for sure awesome thanks James really appreciate you being on the show today
1: yeah well thanks for having me we'll see you later